I'm Michael Sears at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. I'm joined by Professor Marcus Hedel. Dr. Hedel is an Associate Professor of Philosophy in the Department of Leadership, Ethics, and Law at the Naval Academy. Professor Hedel, with your colleagues, you've designed a new course here at Navy. In these sessions, we're breaking down the components of that course. We're talking about moral perception. What is moral perception? Yeah, uh, thank you very much for having me, and, and that's a great question to, to start off with. Uh, I think I'll start by building on what Dr. Eberly said so eloquently in the kind of course overview, that different people see the world in very different ways. And what you're aware of and what you aren't aware of is one of the most important moral facts about you. And you're morally responsible for what you're aware of and what you aren't aware of. Um, so in short, moral perception involves an awareness to the morally relevant features or facts about the world. Um, so if you can't see the ethical problem of the eviction crisis we currently have in this nation, of healthcare costs, of the dominance of the powerful over the weak often, you're missing the true contours of the social world in which we live. In this course, we talk more specifically about our character and how our beliefs that we are people of integrity can actually get in the way of seeing moral hazards that exist. We actually start off with a reading about integrity that's really interesting and challenging. A lot of our students, you know, if you ask them for a, a pitch quote about integrity, they'll say, uh, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one else is looking. And, and that captures something relevant about the world and something that we want our students to know. And that is oftentimes people will do the wrong thing when, they, when there are no consequences, when no one else is looking. Cheating is normally a, a normally, uh, it's a clandestine activity, right? People try and hide that. Pre-COVID, most burglaries were midday and most were in the summer. Why? Because people aren't around and you're not going to get caught. Um, one of my favorite examples is the term murder used to literally mean killing done in secret or in silence. If you could kill someone out in the open and it was tolerated by society, then that wasn't considered murder. And that was even the English definition, which is a fairly recent language in human history, only 500 years old. But in talking about moral perception, we really challenge our students to say, listen, a lot of our greatest misdeeds, both as individuals and particularly as a nation, were done out in the open. I show a picture of Peter Lyons, who's the famous uh, slave who enlisted in the Union Army, whose back was, was tore up from being beaten. We talk about how lynchings weren't some private backwater activity. They were, they were meant to be public. That was the point. Um, the community generally supported them. You know, this last academic year was the 100-year anniversary of the suffragette movement, and our degradation of the equal worth of women was not and is still not something that happens in secret or beneath the radar. It's, it's often screamed loudly and proudly. Um, and this is not something confined to our history. Abu Ghraib, the tragedies that were done there were done uh, out in the open of, of the prison. It was widely known there. The opioid deaths right now are, are greater than the AIDS epidemic, and a lot of people are turning a blind eye to that. And then most recently, um, the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol was primarily a failure of moral perception, failure to see what's morally important. Many of our worst tragedies were done out in the open, and that's not a failure of deliberation or, or character even sometimes, but a basic moral perception of seeing the right moral features. And so um, those are the kinds of things we talk about and how rationalization and socialization cor corrupt that moral perception. So you mentioned deliberation. Why do we start the course with moral perception rather than deliberation or virtue? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and all of these decisions are, are contentious and we debate them a lot and, and we go back and forth. 
there is no perfect answer, but there certainly is a huge advantage to starting perception before deliberation. Because if you can't see a morally salient feature, then there's just no way to deliberate appropriately. You can't give it the right weight if you don't see it to begin with. In effect, we have to see the issues in the world before we can deliberate appropriately. And while character influences our perception in deep ways, some of this is just about looking and trying to look better and be better perceivers of the moral domain. And so it also sets up a nice kind of story of the course that the first thing you have to do is you have to see the world, right? The moral domain. Then you have to decide what to do. And then you have to have the character to do what you know must be done. And that in turn influences how we see the world. And so it isn't a simple kind of flow and now we're done. It is a continuing cycle. And that kind of speaks to our trying to tell the midshipmen that this too, like their moral development, their moral character, the way they see the world, that too is a continuous process. And um, as Aristotle would say, if we're not improving, then we're degrading. And so, so that's why we start the course with moral perception rather than those other features. And how is this different from the previous versions of the course? These issues were certainly not completely ignored in the previous visions of the course. Both the kind of moral psychology, the, the social science experiments, the science, and moral perception were things that were talked about. Certainly a lot of the cases were in the old version of the course. Um, but they weren't collected together. So we asked questions like, why do good people do bad things? But I fear that far too often our students were too fast to say that's because they really weren't good people after all. And, and we also had a lot of the teachers talking about moral perception in different ways and in different places. And so because of that, it didn't get the prominence that it, it, it needs, especially in today's world, where, as I said, oftentimes our failures are failures of moral perceptions. And so by bringing them together and leading off with them, we hope to be able to give it that kind of pride of place and to make it a distinct problem. Because as Dr. Eberly talked about last week, this course is really meant to be for the students and to, for them to both reflect and develop in terms of their morality. And so while, you know, those of us that design the course uh, have our expertise in philosophy and theology, fields that focus on the foundations of morality and deliberation, we can't let those academic stovepipes get in the way of developing a course that speaks to the students as they experience the world. And so the mere fact that moral perception is more commonly at home in something like moral psychology or even sometimes psychology shouldn't prevent us from taking some time to really think deeply about it and, and challenge our students to think deeply about it. So one of the things you want the students to know is some of the social scientific experiments on moral perception, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. hundred percent. And which experiments uh, do you want to focus on? Yeah, there are some different ones and, th and there's a few. Uh, one that I think any educated American ought to be able to, to talk about, and certainly people serving the military, the Milgram experiments that were conducted after World War II. Stanley Milgram ran some experiments where he was looking at obedience and the role that obedience played. Uh, and he took people and he, for lack of a better word, conned them. He told them that they were involved in an experiment about teaching and about memory. And if the learner got something wrong, then the teacher was supposed to give them a shock. And the shocks were supposed to increase in voltage as they got things wrong. Now, the, 
the people that were being experimented on didn't know that this was all a, an act, right? There was no painful shocks being administered and the person was fine, but the person was crying out in pain as shocks got worse. And what most people focus on, which is an important part of the Milgram experiment, is that you know around 65% of the people complied completely and went all the way to 450 volts. Um, but the reason why I think it's really important to talk about in terms of moral perception is that one of the most common responses to this is the people in the experiment said that they did all they could, even if they went all the way to 450 volts. They raised concerns. They asked questions of who, was, who would be responsible. They said they, they, they couldn't go on, and they only went on when prodded that the experiment required them to go on. And so people are perhaps less familiar with the fact that um, Dr. Milgram ran multiple versions of this experiment. And some of the ones that I find most interesting are when there were other people in the room that were also supposedly shocking people. Now, these were also Confederates in on the experiment. And what happened is, is when the Confederates went along and shocked all the way to the top, then compliance went from 65% above 80%, which is even greater. But when, when the other people administering shocks just stopped, when they refused to go on, compliance dropped to less than 10%. And why is this? Because it's not merely kind of, I think too often people will play it off to some sort of like peer pressure. But what it really does is it makes salient to people that this is a live option. This is something that they can do. This is a position that they should be deliberating between, not just whether they should resist or speak up, but whether they should just not push the button at all. And so that's an important aspect of, of moral perception. We do talk a little bit about the Stanford prison experiments as well that I assume people are familiar with when Stanford students uh, were either prisoners or guards and, and the way that the, the treatment of the prisoners degraded. The, these experiments have been criticized uh, in part because, because it was clear that the students were playing a role, um, especially the guards. And so there's some question about uh, what we can learn from that fact out in the world. But I think that undermines that often we play roles, especially in the military. We, we take on the role of officer uh, or we take on the role of whatever duty we are at. And we need to think about those things and how those influence our moral perception. So the, the last uh, experiment that, that, that we talk about that I think is really interesting is the Good Samaritan study. And so this was done by John Darley and, and Daniel uh, Batson back in the 70s, where they took people in the Princeton Theological Seminary, and uh, they told them that they were supposed to be giving uh, a lecture on the Good Samaritan story. And then they had someone uh, pretend to be having a heart attack along the way. And if they told the participants that they were in a great hurry, that they were very late for this lecture, most of them didn't stop and help the person on the way, even though they were about to talk about the Good Samaritan story itself. And the number one reason, once again, is that people said they just didn't see that person. It's not that they thought, my students often think that... Uh, that the professor somehow thinks that their lecture is that important, right? But it's much more important than this person who is dying of a heart attack on the, on the side. But it turns out that, that most people just said they didn't see them. Their literal perception and their moral perception was altered. So Milgram and the prisoner and the Good Samaritan are, are great examples. Do you have military cases to consider? Yeah, we do as well. So um, I, I mentioned before the Abu Ghraib uh, um, events. Um, this is something, and I have to remind myself of this all the time, our students weren't old enough to remember this. For those of us that served in the military, even not that long ago, 
this is a vivid part. I was on active duty when this happened. It's a vivid part of the way I think about how the U.S. military, for all its virtues, can sometimes fall short of the ideal that it ought to live up to. But for our students, this is often the first time that they've heard about this case. And so talking about the way that socialization and rationalization led to people viewing these activities that went on there um, as problematic is, is really interesting and, and a worthwhile discussion with the students about why, why people didn't see these things as, as deeply problematic as they are. Another case we go over is um, a case called The Boat People. This is a little bit older one, but it's about a, a captain who came across some refugees in the middle of the ocean and gave them some food and then went about his way because he believed that their vessel was, was seaworthy and because he was late to a deployment in the Persian Gulf. And we talk about this case with the students a fair bit and we go back and forth and, and we talk about what's going on. And then there's a moment that I love where you show the students the junk, the ship that was supposedly able to get them across the ocean. And, and they almost laugh because even people with the amount of naval experience that our youngsters have, our sophomores have, they recognize that this is not a, this is not a vessel that's going to get you across the ocean. It might not get you across the Severn. And so we talk about why the captain who had been in the Navy for 30 years didn't see this, right? Why he couldn't just see this vessel and recognize that that its ability to uh, to get across the ocean would be compromised. And so that's a, a great case that we talk about, and it ties really nicely to the Good Samaritan experiment, right? It's in a hurry. It changes the way that they see things if you're in a hurry. We also talk a little bit about science in, in that case and in the Good Samaritan case. There's actually been some recent research done at Duke University about a, a part of the brain called the superior temporal sulcus that lights up when human beings know they're dealing with another human being. And uh, we react differently when we know that we're dealing with another human being. Our brains act differently when we're playing AI online, for example, versus another human being. There's actually a line in the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan that I think is illuminating regardless of your religious beliefs. So the people that don't help the Good Samaritan, it says they walk to the other side of the road. You know, I admit we all do this when we're in urban environments often, right? We walk to the other side to not see... Um, the homeless person or to not see the person that's struggling that we should help out. And why do we do this? Well, we, we're trying to trick our brains, right? We're trying to make it so that our brains don't light up and don't see them as human beings, right? And so that's a really interesting and fascinating thing to talk about with the students and the impacts that might have on the way they see other people. And so our last two cases kind of tie to those questions. So the very first case we do in the whole course is about the Bachai Bazai, the Chai Boys in Afghanistan. There was a case um, written up in the New York Times of, of some army officers who came across a, a local officer that was treating uh, young boys there poorly, and, and the boy's mother came to the Americans to help them. The non-commissioned officer ended up beating up, like physically beating up this, this Afghan general, and he and the lieutenant who was in charge uh, were both kicked out of the army. Um, eventually, the non-commissioned officer was reinstated um, after some interventions. But it, it, it causes us to think about the way that different people see things, the way culture shapes the way we think things, what's morally acceptable, what's not. And it also kind of tries to hit the students in the face from the first week that this isn't kind of easy stuff. There are tough questions we're going to ask, and there aren't easy answers. 
Um, but we have to think hard about them and we have to focus on what we can see and what we can't. And then the last thing is a case uh, we call uncomfortable conversations um, about sexual assault. And one of the kind of difficult questions we get the students to ask is, um, there's a young woman who's, who's, who's been treated poorly at work. And as it often happens, it starts off inappropriately, but, but perhaps not, not criminally or, or to the level that would warrant um, some sort of discipline, although it should have warranted more action. And when she talks to some of her superior officers who are men, they fail to see the issue. But the women on base all understand what's going on almost immediately. And we talk about why people that are victims of uh, unethical behavior are more likely to see problems with that unethical behavior than, than other people. I actually, myself, I appeal to John McCain here. He was a great advocate for a lot of causes, causes like healthcare, causes like torture, causes like campaign finance reform. And these were all things that he had firsthand involvement of. He had all seen the, the problems with our rules and our procedures and our actions not living up to our ideals in these cases. Uh, another would be military waste and, and fraud and abuse. And all four of those things, he, he could see the issues in ways other people couldn't, in part because he had experienced those things himself. And so we talk about why that is, why it's important, how it might lead to moral perception blind spots in many of us, and, and how we can better deal with those. Professor Hiddall, thanks for breaking it down for us. We'll have other sessions to dive deeply into this new NE203 course. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Uh, really appreciate it and uh, really love talking about this course. I think it's a great course and I love teaching it and, and, and we hope other people will be as excited about it as we are.